This podcast contains adult language and explicit content. Listener discretion is advised. Hi, I'm Grant. And I'm Erica. And this is From From Crime Crime to to Crime. Let's get criminal. (laughs) Let's get criminal. Criminal. Oh. No. Speaking of which, hey, have you ever been to Alcatraz? Yeah. Have you? No, I've never been. I really wanted to go. I was like 10 years old. My mom and I went and we had tickets to go. But the tour that we were on, somehow we got upgraded for free to the next tour. And we completely missed out on Alcatraz. And I still regret it. That's lame. It was lame. I think we saw like that twisty street, the lumbar street and Ghirardelli and probably some seals on a... <laughs> on a floaty, but that was about it. I really yeah. wanted to see Alcatraz. You got to eat clam chowder on Fisherman's Wharf. I couldn't even tell you, but I could definitely tell you, had I seen Alcatraz, I would have remembered that. Yeah, you would. It's pretty cool. It's not forgettable. All right, let's not get into the boring history of Alcatraz. Yeah, we're not going to give you the whole boring backstory of Alcatraz. It's an island in the middle of San Francisco Bay. It's known as The Rock. It's had captives since the Civil War. In 1934, they turned it into the world's most secure prison. You know, it had Al Capone and the Birdman and everybody that was there was because they were known to be hard to handle or escape artists or, you know, things like that. So Alcatraz was so cool. Yeah. So there was iron bars, guard towers, strict rules, dozens of inmate counts a day, razor sharp rocks that go down to freezing shark infested waters. So escape from Alcatraz was pretty much impossible. But... From 1934 until the prison was closed in 1963, 36 men still tried to escape in 14 separate escape attempts. That's so cool. So they were almost all caught or died trying, except the three guys who made it. So that's what we're going to talk about today, because that is the interesting part of Alcatraz. Dude, Alcatraz is so cool. It is so historic for so many reasons. I love this this case. The Escape from Alcatraz is such a cool case, because really, it's three dudes, four dudes, who just said, we're done, and you know, did the unthinkable. Yeah. Although people had tried before them, but they all failed. Right. So. And that was a thing with this, too, because it had to be perfectly executed and planned. Yep. We'll get into that in the theories about how that may or may not have gone down. Right. But, I mean, just think about it. Because every morning, every early morning, the cell guards would go and check to see who was in, you know, make sure everybody was in bed. Yeah. That they had to really plan this. And, but it was one morning, June 12th of 1962, the guards had trouble waking an inmate up. They went to his cell to try to get him. And from what I've read and heard, he went in, tapped the pillow. The guard did, did not wake up, tapped him on the forehead. And (laughs) the head rolled off onto the floor. It was a paper, it was a paper mache head. I heard he shoved the head with his nightstick and it rolled off the bed onto the floor. That's why in the pictures that you see of the clay heads, one of them, the nose is broken. Because when it fell on the floor, the nose broke. For what it's worth, they're not clay heads. They are paper mache, just so we have all of our facts straight. Oh, really? Yep. Hmm. So they do a quick check of the other cells and they discovered that three inmates were missing and had dummy heads in their beds. John Anglin his younger brother, Clarence Anglin, and a guy named Frank Morris. Can you imagine the guards, what they're thinking right now? Like, they go in to wake these dudes up. They're not getting up. And dummy heads are what they find in their place. Like, <laughs> can you imagine just being a guard and just be like, hey, jerk, wake up, you know, just, and the head just rolls off onto the floor <laughs> and breaks. I'm sure it was like a heart-stopping moment, but at the same time, these are probably like the morning shift guards. So they're like, well, these guys didn't escape on our watch. (laughs) (laughs) They're probably like, oh, what were these night guards doing? Just fucking around or what? Glad I just clocked in. Yeah, really. It wasn't me. I didn't do it. Yep. So John England and his younger brother Clarence were were both in Alcatraz because they were convicted of robbing a bank in Alabama, but with a toy gun. So I don't think these guys are already deserving to be in the maximum secure prison, but. Well, that's not what got them there. That's what got them to regular prison. And then when they tried to escape from regular prison in Kansas, 
That's what landed him at Alcatraz. So John was sent to Alcatraz in October of 1960, and Clarence got there a few months later in 61 because they had tried to escape from a prison in Kansas in a, some sort of bakery box or something. I, It's a weird story, but it didn't work, and they got caught, and that's why they ended up at Alcatraz. They both committed a bank robbery. Both got sent to the same prison in Kansas they tried to escape from, so they sent them both to Alcatraz in the same spot. Mm-hmm. Okay. And they had another brother that committed the original bank robbery with them, wow. but he ended up doing his time at a regular prison because he never tried to escape. Oh. So Their parents really must have been so proud. Well, their parents had like 13 kids. So, I mean, you can't keep track of all of them. And I'm sure they aren't all bad apples. Yeah, if three if three go missing, you know, 10, 10 still a good number. Yeah. Still a lot of kids. I mean, I feel like that's why they used to have a lot of kids back then was because it's like, well, a couple of them are going to die. A couple of them are going to end up in prison, you know. I think it's because they didn't have contraception, but either way, I guess, is a good <laughs> <Maybe>. reason. <laughs> that's, that's probably true. But either way, the third inmate, his name was Frank Morris, and he grew up in an orphanage, and he was in and out of jail since he was 13. But he was a bank robber with a genius IQ. Apparently, he was like a super smart whippersnapper, but he used his... (laughs) How old are you? I don't know. But he... Well, I still can't figure out Reddit, so obviously too old. (laughs) So, but he used his brains for the dark side. And he was in and out of prison since he was 13 and had tons of escape attempts on his record. So eventually, he ended up at Alcatraz also. So when the guards sound the alarm and they start checking the island for the inmates, another inmate named Alan West piped up and said he planned the whole escape and was like, you're probably going to want to talk to me and was just a total D-bag about the whole thing. Right. So is Alan West cool because he planned the whole thing or is he super lame because he didn't go? And, you know, he didn't go not on his own accord. He definitely planned to go, but... Is he super cool or super lame for one planning it, but then ratting these guys out when you know the time came? I don't know. I don't know because I'm not convinced that he planned it. Well, that's another thing too. I'm also not convinced that he ratted them out. The rest of the story is pretty much according to Alan, but what happened after they left the island, I mean, Alan didn't go with them. So he could be lying to throw the prison guards off, or he could just not know because he wasn't in the in crowd and didn't get there. So Well, he definitely sounds like he knows a lot of what happened. I mean, obviously, you're right. We're going off of his story, but it all kind of does check out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I think a lot of what he says about the planning is accurate, but I don't know that he came up with it like he says he did. Right. So, But we'll get into that in the theories. Right. And the plan, it started in December of 1961. Alan had found a couple of old files with um, some old saw blades in them up in this attic space at the top of the cell blocks. And he started making tools with them. And he even made a drill out of an old vacuum cleaning motor. Like, So obviously this guy is, you know, you know, he's pretty smart. He knows what he's doing. Well, if he made that. Well, if he made I, that. I think it was Frank Morris that did most of this stuff. Because it was Frank Morris that read Popular Mechanics magazine and was super smart. and But we'll get into that. As you said, the story goes, Alan started this whole thing and started coming up with this idea. And then he got the Anglin brothers and Frank Morris on board for the escape. And together they started figuring stuff out little by little. And that's what I think. I think it was more this guy came up with this, this guy came up with that. You know, it had to be a team effort. Yeah, I would think like, it would probably be a team effort, too. I mean, yeah. something like this can't be devised by one guy, I, I wouldn't think. Yeah. Well, and Alan West, it's like, yeah, because you're the only one left. So you're like, oh, yeah, it was all me. Right, like, yeah. Right. I don't know. I don't love that guy. So anyway, they figured out that there was a, like a utility corridor behind the cells. And there was a small vent cover in each of their cells at the back of their cells. And this is where they started. One thing about that utility corridor, though, is that they knew that the guards didn't man that area. So they kind of knew at that point they had somewhat of a free pass if they could get to that point. It's literally inside the walls. Right. So they know it's that not no like one's it's looking. A, yeah, it's not like it's a closet or anything. It's literally inside the walls where all the pipes are and the vent shafts and all that stuff. So, yeah, of course, there would be no guards inside the walls. Right. So they had the perfect spot to go. 
Right. So they started with these vent covers at the back of their cells and they took a lot of different tools that they had made and different things. And the corrosive seawater over the years had made the concrete easier to kind of like chip out and flake off. So they used spoons from the cafeteria. And the reason that they didn't use knives was because the guards would count the knives at the end of each meal. But these guys realized that the guards didn't count the spoons because you're not going to shank somebody with a spoon. No, of course not. (laughs) You know, although dull objects do tend to hurt more, but. So they dig away at the concrete little by little around these vent shafts and they use the homemade drill made out of the vacuum motor to drill holes to make it easier and. They do a lot of this during what was called music hour. So after dinner, there was like an hour where people were allowed to play musical instruments. And I guess it was just loud and obnoxious. And the guards didn't really walk up and down that much during that time, I'm sure, because it was annoying as shit. Everybody playing a different instrument and poorly. These guys are so cool, though. Like, this is so Johnny Cash and Merle Haggard, like just in jail, (laughs) just, just playing. I mean, especially Merle Haggard, you know, we know very well that Merle Haggard that he saw Johnny Cash play in the prison and that's how he kind of got the inspiration to turn his life around. But what a cool, honestly, what a cool thing. It's just hanging around playing music with a bunch of prisoners. Like that's, that's badass. (laughs) Being in prison is not badass. It is when you're at Alcatraz. Alcatraz. That's because Alcatraz has all this like lore around it. But when you're an actual inmate there, it was horrific. It was horrible condition. They were like mostly isolated. It was terrible. It was like the worst prison to be at. Yeah, but the best one for stories. Yeah, but they had no freedom at all. So anyway, they started flushing pieces of the broken concrete and everything that they were getting away from this wall. They started flushing them down the toilets and then they would stick bigger pieces in their pockets and take them out to the rec yard and just like toss them. These guys are so cool. I think these guys are so cool. Yeah. To me, I was like, why didn't they just put it in where they were chipping into? Like, why didn't they just shove it back into the corridor? But I guess they had to get through the wall first Yeah, to make a hole to put it through the corridor. That's probably why. Yeah, that's a really good question because they had to pick up their mess and, you know, maybe they didn't have that space yet. Yeah, maybe they didn't make it all the way through first. I, I would never be able to do this. I do not have that kind of attention to detail. I would leave something on the floor and I would get busted well before this became a thing. And they kept watch over each other and made fake cardboard cutouts and painted them the same color as the wall with the vent covers to hide what they were doing, which seriously, such a smart thing to do. Like these guys had everything planned out, you know, like it seems like there was nothing that was, that was missed by them. Obviously they, cause they, they did this. Um, Well, they had 23 hours a day to sit and think about how to do this. Did we talk about them being in solitary confinement? Well, the whole prison was solitary pretty much. That's what I'm saying. This prison was terrible to be at. It was not fun and cool. It was awful. I completely agree. Being there as an inmate was probably terrible. But yeah, I'm way far removed from that. This is so cool. And I think these are the coolest stories. Well, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's cool now. But yeah, they had nothing but time to sit and think about all this shit because they were totally isolated. Well, and they did. I mean, they used everything from wet paper towels to suitcases to books to cover up the holes. And yeah. that's how they got to the utility corridor, which, again, had ventilation shafts that went to the roof. Yep. So the cool thing, though, I've seen pictures and they have it set up in the cells when you go to Alcatraz now, is they show you, like, the way they chipped out around that vent hole and got through to the corridor. They show you, like, a piece of how they put the grate into the cardboard and then used to slide the cardboard cut out over the vent and it's all painted the same color as the wall and everything. So it's really easy to see how the guards would not notice that. Oh, yeah. Unless they were really... Obviously, when you see prison shakedowns now and stuff, they know, check all that stuff because... This happened. This has all been done. But in 1962, they didn't, I mean, I'm sure they didn't really go in there that much. Right. And I'm looking at pictures of it right now. I have them pulled up on Google. We'll put these on our Instagram at From Crime to Crime for anybody who wants to see them. But this looks almost like a fireplace. You know, if that's the best way to describe it. It looks like a fireplace was cut out and, you know, it, it looks like it's meant to be there. But this was chipped away over years and years so that these guys could eventually get through it. Not and- years and years. It was chipped away over six months. Oh, that was it? Yep. Oh. December of 61, they started planning it, and June of 62, they escaped. See, I told you, attention to detail, not my thing. 
Nope. <laughs> it is not. <laughs> <laughs> but that's okay. That's why you have me. Right. They had set up a secret workspace up in this like attic area above the cell blocks that one of them was given permission to like go up there and clean it out and paint because the salt water in the air and everything makes the paint peel off of the ceilings and stuff. I don't know if it was a punishment or if he asked to do it, but he had been given access to this space and they let him drape heavy blankets over it so that all the paint flakes and everything from when he was cleaning up there wouldn't fall down onto the polished floors. For what it's worth, I don't think this was any kind of punishment. I think they trusted him and that's why they let him have this space and they let him have it, you know, blocked off because, oh, the paint chips and whatever. Like, like they were so lenient with this kind of stuff. I think once you did get on the guard's good side, you were probably in. It was probably an okay place to be, honestly. Yeah. Well, that like you said too, with the Anglin brothers, they had cells right next to each other. Nowadays, if two brothers are even ever allowed at the same prison, I highly doubt they're going to let them be in cells next to each other. Well, and they requested to go next to each other. So <laughs> I know they're like, we pinky promise that we won't do anything bad. Do you think Eric and Lyle Menendez, who are in the same prison, are allowed next to each other now? Because I don't. I don't know. Because they've obviously seen each other. Yeah, they have. And I don't know how they ended up at the same prison. I don't remember the story about how they got to the same prison either. But yeah, I, I don't know. It's a very weird thing to put family members in the same place. It's probably very comforting for you know you or and your family member if you're in prison together at the same time at the same place. But that's part of the reason why they don't do it is because it's like, well, why do you get comforts? You murdered somebody Bingo. or exactly. you robbed a bank. Or, but the other reason is also because, hey, maybe you and your brother are going to plan a crazy escape and that's probably not legit. Yeah. So anyway, they had this secret workspace set up where they were going to make all of their stuff for their escape. Paddles, rafts, tools, you know, all this stuff that they were going to need for their escape. And it's pretty insane. Some of the stuff that they built, like the rafts. Yeah. The rafts were really big, too. Yeah. They were like 14 feet long and six feet wide or something. They yeah. were made out of stolen or donated raincoats from other inmates, which... I feel like donated, is that like voluntarily or did they make them give them their rain? Because I've been to Alcatraz and I'll tell you what, you better not be giving up your raincoat because you'll be wet all the time. I wonder too, like if they told other prisoners like, hey, we're doing this and that's why they were donated. If they were donated, like, yeah, go for it. That's probably true because of the inmate code thing. If you know of somebody who's trying to escape and there's some way you can help them, you just do. Even if you're not going to be involved in the escape, you still help. See, Alcatraz was so cool if you weren't an inmate and just get to hear stories about it. <laughs> yeah. So these rafts were super cool. They sewed them all together and they even vulcanized the seams on the hot steam pipes that were in this ventilation shaft. So they somehow like after they sewed them together, obviously that's not going to hold air because they've put holes in them to sew them together. Sure. But they they like melted around where they sewed them together so that it like sealed them. These guys are the coolest. They just are like, this is such cool stuff. This is so cool. That's pretty genius. It really is. It's so cool. Like some of the stuff that these guys did, I'm like, dude, if you guys got real jobs, you could have like a 401k and a mortgage. <laughs> like, you're pretty smart. Yeah, I'm sure they were thinking that they could be engineers once they got out. Well, they're super smart. If they would have just taken this and put it towards something useful, they could have been successful people. Like, it's crazy. I've seen pictures of the homemade paddles that they built. I'm not sure how they made those because those were made out of two by fours. I don't know where they got wood. Because these guys were helping, you know, around the, the facility. I'm sure they had access to wood and would bring it in there and, you know, make up some story. And yeah. OK, sure. Why not? Yeah. And I guess they didn't need huge 10 foot long pieces. They were just little short, stubby paddles. Right. Right. And I mean, they were very like we said, they were very intelligent. They used all kinds of things. They even used a concertina into an inflation device for the raft. Um, and for those who don't know, it's kind of like an accordion. You pump it together and it puts air through it. So, I mean, all of these things are really smart ideas and not just, you know, thrown together on a whim. Yeah, except somebody was going to be super pissed during music hour. <laughs> yeah, their, their concertina was was missing. Yeah, the polka band's like, God <laughs> damn it. Uh, poor, poor Polish inmates. They don't get their polka. Yeah. They were also pretty crafty, too, because the dummy heads that they made, mm -hmm. even though when you look at them, like, you know, just by themselves, they look pretty stupid. And obviously, they're not a real person. Sure. But they did the job, and they looked... 
when they're in the bed with the blanket pulled halfway over it, like, how would a guard in the middle of the night walking down the corridor ever think that that wasn't a real head? He wouldn't. I mean, I'm again, I'm looking at these right now on Google, and they look legit. And they were made out of paper mache and real hair, too. One of the guys worked in the barber shop, and he would collect hair for this, you know, for this. So they had all this access to hair. So, I mean... It really was the perfect storm. These guys had access to tools. They had access to materials. They had access to hair. They had access to everything they need. And again, if you look at these things, these heads are are very well done. They're not just th- cheaply thrown together. Like there's a jawline. There's eyebrows. There's noses and ears yeah, and foreheads. Yeah, it's, it's all put together very, very well. They're fully painted with flesh color paint. Like... They obviously look stupid when you just look at a picture of just the head. Right. But laying in a bed with a blanket over it in the dark, it are you kidding me? How would the guards ever know until they take a nightstick and it rolls off the bed? Yeah, there's no way to know. Yeah, it's crazy. So apparently they learned that these guys were reading magazines like Popular Mechanics, which I guess taught them a lot of stuff about what they needed to know. That's how they learned about the vulcanizing the seams for the raft and all this other stuff. So These guys are so cool. They just are. They're just yeah. the coolest. So after six months of chipping away at these holes in their cells until they were big enough to get through to this vent shaft, the night of June 11th, 1962 came and it was go time. Game time. Yeah, I don't know what made them pick that night, but they picked it. I don't know. I have never heard why they picked it either. I just know that that worked for them. But on that night, John, Clarence, and Frank removed their vent covers, got into the corridor, and then Alan West, as we know, was left... Um, you know, because he hadn't finished chipping away the concrete out. So he wasn't, he couldn't go. These guys were ready to go and they weren't going to wait for him. And honestly, why would they? But I've also heard that he says that they did take turns helping him try to chip out the rest of his hole and that they ran into some pipe he didn't account for and they didn't, couldn't get through. And so after a little bit of doing that, they realized that he wasn't going to be able to go. So they just left him behind. So wait, they tried helping him get out the night they escaped? Yeah. That doesn't make any sense to me. I see again, it's another flaw in Alan West's story. Why would they help him get out when they were in that corridor? Like it's go time. You got to get out. There's no waiting around trying to help somebody else out. Like you got to save yourself or your brother and get out. Well, that's what he says. He says that he was like the mastermind. So when they all met in this corridor, you know, I'm sure they didn't have watches. Oh, maybe they did have watches. I don't know. But when they all met in this corridor, they were like, where the hell's Alan? And then they went to his little hole and he was still trying to chip away and they tried to help him from the other side when they realized like this is a waste of time and he's not getting out. They just had to ditch him. Yeah. See, that doesn't make sense to me. Like I would have thought they already would have had all of this hammered out, chiseled out. Everyone's ready to go. That's why they chose. Well, they said that the reason that Alan couldn't was because his cell was on the end and it was closer to where everybody could see it, like the guards, other people walking up and down. His cell was more visible, so he didn't have the same amount of time to chip that the other guys did. Yeah, I think this guy's just making things Supposedly. up. Yeah, exactly. But I also think he's full of shit. I do, too. So. I mean, honestly, if these guys got out, they're not sitting around the corridor just, like, checking their watches if they have them going, hey, let's go check on Alan. No, they're getting out like it there's a time to go and you're out there's no time to wait and hope that somebody else gets there i don't believe alan west's story in that and at least that part <laughs> i don't yeah so this is when they make their way 30 feet up you know they started climbing pipes and vent shafts and everything all the way to the roof they went out a vent shaft and onto the roof yeah and that's a big thing too because when they got to the roof there was a metal grate that they pushed up and it made a noise. I think the noise was 1037, if I remember. I don't have it written down, but I think it was 1037 that they heard this noise, the the guards did. And they remember hearing that going, hey, what was that? But everything looked okay. So no one really thought anything of it other than, hey, make note, 1037. So that's how they know it was about that time. Hmm. Once they were on the roof, they climbed down the side of the building and then over a barbed wire fence and down to the water. They used their concertina to blow up their raft, and they took off. Took off for Angel Island. According to Alan West, they took off for Angel Island, yes. That was where they were supposedly going to take a break, and then from there they would keep doing the rest of the swim. Yeah, and Alan West says that he made it through his hole about four hours after the other inmates, but frankly, I don't believe him. Well, he says that he did make it through his hole and he climbed up the vent shaft and he found a life jacket and a paddle that the other men had left behind for him in case he had gotten out of his cell. And 
he says he went up to the roof and he couldn't see the other inmates and but there was a guard there and so he spent the night laying on the roof just watching the stars and then in the morning he went back down the vent shaft and back into his cell and I get why you don't believe him but at the same time they did find the paddle and the life jackets that the other inmates had left for him I in case he got out see I believe that maybe those were extra things that they had but that sounds so so far-fetched oh I made it up but I saw a guard so I just laid down and looked at the stars no you didn't you never left your cell you couldn't get out yeah you probably tried but this guy never got out he's a liar see I think he got out I think his hole was big enough but I think he chickened out I think he got out with them and then when they went down to go he chickened out and went back in Hmm. well theories are at the end of the podcast I think he was a chicken shit (laughs) so anyway that's eventually he went back to his cell And he waited until the guards realized that the other guys were missing, and then he just started fucking singing like a canary. Yeah. Again, Alan West claims that he was the mastermind of this whole thing, but at this point, I think it's pretty obvious it was probably Frank Morris. I mean... Yeah, Frank Morris supposedly had a genius IQ and was super smart, and I don't know. I think it was a combination of all of them, so... I do think they all had a plan, or at least a part of it, and I do think Alan West was involved, so... of course. I think at least some of his accounts are are true. Maybe I don't think his parts are as true as he says. Yeah. But I think a lot of these are. Oh, I think a Um, lot of them are too, and I think he was super involved. I just think he chickened out, and I think he came up with a way to make it sound like he didn't chicken out, but I think he chickened out. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. And and one of the things that, that Alan West had said was that their plan was to swim to Angel Island and then take a break, you know, until they got to Marin County. Yeah. So after the escape, they searched the prison and they found the workshop. They found over 80 tools that these guys made. They found... Unbelievable. Yeah. 80 tools. Think about that. Yeah. These guys made 80 tools. Yeah. Spoons and screwdrivers and saws and knives and... Yeah. It's crazy. All in this makeshift workshop that the guards let them put up and all that was going on right under their nose. And in their cells. They found between their cells and the workshop, they found all the paint, the paper mache, the hair clippings, the cut up raincoats. They found maps with pages ripped out from Canada and Mexico. And See, you're saying earlier that Alcatraz was this big, huge deal and they were so mean. Come on. I think once you got in and were on the inside, I think you were pretty set. Maybe. So look at this, you know? I've seen I've seen Orange is the New Black. Once you get in, you're pretty set. <laughs> Stupid. <laughs> it's not Orange is the New Black. These guys were treated horribly. Doesn't sound like it. <laughs> the FBI, the BOP, and the Coast Guard searched for days. Time out. What is the BOP? I've never heard that. The Bureau of Prisons. I had no idea there was a Bureau of Prisons. Who do you think runs the prisons? Sheriffs? Local authorities? I didn't know there was a Bureau of Prisons. Is that a federal program? Yeah, federal prisons. Yeah, the Bureau of Prisons. Yeah. Oh. Oh. They didn't cover that in Orange is the New Black, so I didn't know. Yeah, that's because it's not real. It's too, actually. Thank you very much. It's based on a true story. Oh, my gosh. Anyway, the FBI, the BOP, and the Coast Guard eventually decided that they likely drowned in the cold waters or the wind and the tides were too strong for them to get to Angel Island or to San Francisco and that it swept them out to sea because even little tiny details at Alcatraz were thought out by the prisons. Like, their showers were on purpose warm showers so that the inmates couldn't get used to frigid waters. Like, if they took cold showers every day, they would get used to the cold water. And then it would be easier for them to swim. So their showers were on purpose warm. Warm showers, again, proves my point. Alcatraz probably wasn't that bad. (laughs) You're not doing anything to convince me otherwise. I just think it's a really cool place to try to escape. Yeah. So the bodies never washed up on shore, though, and the sightings started coming in almost immediately. And every tip was looked into, but none have ever been confirmed or verified. The FBI believed that the three men didn't survive, and they closed the case December 31st, 1979, and handed it over to the U.S. Marshals. And they cited four reasons why they closed the case, and they're all bullshit. Yeah, they're all stupid. Yeah. I don't like any of these reasons. Yeah, well, let's go over them. Okay. <laughs> the first one was crossing the bay. And I mean, yeah, now there's, you know, people who are fit and in shape and they do these mile long swims from Alcatraz to Angel Island. But 
With the strong currents and frigid bay water, the odds were clearly against these guys, you know, especially taking warm, classy showers, you know, at this nice... But the one thing, whenever they do like the, you know, oh, can this be survivable? And they get a guy in the water and they're like, okay, swim, go, try this. It's like, you're never going to get the exact same conditions that these guys had because you have no idea what time they went into the water so you don't know what the tides were like or anything like that plus these people that are doing this just to see if they can do it are not swimming for their lives these guys were literally swimming for their lives and there's no way to factor that adrenaline into that it's do or die these people that are swimming to prove whether it's do or die have the option to go, okay, I'm done, and get back in the boat. That's true, and not to mention that they're wearing wetsuits, so yeah. they probably have flippers on, and yeah. maybe those those webbed hand things that make people look like they're platypuses and but things like that. The number one reason why this reason for them thinking that they didn't survive is bullshit is because six months after these guys escaped, two more men tried to escape from Alcatraz, and one of them was caught really close to Alcatraz, clinging to a rock, but the other one was found on the bay in San Francisco. He made it. So we know it's possible. Right? Six months later, which means that was in December, which would have been colder. Oh, yeah. Terribly cold. I mean, it's always cold in San Francisco, but like on the water, it's freezing there all the time. Yeah, definitely. I mean, not the other one, but it's cold and wet all the time. But December is way colder than June. Absolutely. Yeah. In most places, that's true. Yeah, of course. (laughs) So their second reason is three if by land. So the plan, according to the Alan West, was to steal clothes and a car once they were on land. But there was never any reports of a car stolen or clothing stolen. So nothing ever matched this. But my whole thing is like, they have no idea where. Right. And clothes being stolen. I mean, you could steal clothes from a store and that might get reported or you could steal clothes from, I don't know, almost anywhere. I would think like at that time, probably clothes hung up on the laundry was still very popular. Maybe they stole them that way. Who knows? And yeah. And it's like that to me is bullshit because if you don't know where they washed up on shore, you don't know where to check for thefts. You're telling me nowhere in the whole San Francisco area that night was there a car theft. Like get real. Yeah. No kidding. That's yeah. There had to have been something. Of course. Somewhere. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. San Francisco is is very big and very well populated. Well, and all the other areas that they could have gone that weren't even San Francisco, even if they somehow ended up on a different area. So that's yeah. bullshit too. Their family ties too. Like yeah, that's the third reason. Yeah. Yeah. Even if they were able to get away, like they didn't come from a lot of money, hence they held up a bank with yeah. a toy gun. Well, and all the money from their bank robberies had been recovered. So it's not like they had a hidden stash of money from their bank robberies. It had all been recovered. Right. Absolutely. And like you said, their family had 13 kids, so they probably didn't have any extra any extra funds laying around to help their, you know, oh, troub- yeah. the, these troubled youth. Oh, yeah. They were saying that their family lived in Florida and didn't even have the money to travel to California to visit them, let alone help them escape. Oh, man. What an even more awful existence already. Yeah. And Frank Morris was an orphan, so he didn't have any family to fall back on either. Yeah. So the fourth reason why they think that they didn't make it is because they've been missing in action. So for the 17 years that the FBI worked on the case, there was never any evidence to say that the men were still alive, which is bullshit because there's a lot of evidence, but nothing that they could substantiate. There's nothing that points exactly to them, but there's a lot of stuff that goes, ooh, that could be them. Yeah, definitely. And photos and, you know. Things like that that could definitely be these guys. Yeah, so that would be a super boring story if these guys went through all this work and all this genius planning and months and months of all of this and then they just drown in the bay. That would be the worst story in the world. So we're not even going to talk about that. We're just going to talk about what the theories are that they survived. Love the theory section. So the other reason that we're only really going to talk about that is because I think they did survive. I think that two of them survived. But we again, we can get into that. Yeah. So... we're not so, in the, yeah, we're right. not technically in the theory section yet. We're still telling the story, but that's fine. Yeah. So three days after all of this went down, they did find a paddle. Um, they also found a, a sealed plastic wallet that was made from raincoats. So that fits 
you know, what we're going with. And that wallet had family photos and a list of contacts that the men knew. So is that a decoy? Did they drown? Some people think that they drowned because they think that they would never lose that pack that they spent so much time making sure stayed waterproof and all that because they would need those phone numbers and those pictures and everything when they escaped. But there's an argument to be made that Frank Morris was so smart, they could have done that and put that in the water like that so that it would be found. I'm leaning towards more that these were these were decoys and they were planted, you know? I don't know that they had extra pictures of their families or whatnot, but I yeah, I definitely think at this that, point. Like you said, it's life or death, you know? Yeah, exactly. Maybe that wasn't how it intended, but I don't think that, I don't think that these were, you know, I think these were planted on purpose yeah. so that they could figure out or so that it did look like they were gone. Yeah. Well, the FBI checked out the names and watched the people that were on the list of contacts, and they never found anything. So, what a brilliant thing that would be if that was made up. Just, oh yeah, I know this guy, and you know, back then people remembered phone numbers. Yeah, so I know this guy. I know his. Yeah, I know his phone number. Okay, cool. You know, and then I don't know. They've never checked in with me, especially if they're legit people in their lives. It's very, very smart. Yeah. Hey, one question I just thought of. Did Alan West have a dummy head in his cell? I don't know. I've never heard that either. I wonder if we should look into that. Yeah, that is a good question. I don't know. Because that would definitely tell us how involved or not he was. Yeah. Well, we know he was involved. His thing was chipped out. That's true. It's it's not a question whether or not he was involved. Plus, he knows too much about the story. I just think he makes it sound like he's the mastermind and he's not. Yeah, I agree. I agree. I think he knew what was going on and was was definitely a part of yeah. it. Yeah. But you can you continue. I'm going to look up on the Google. And, and he I... may have even been the original, hey, let's escape guys guy. You know, but I just don't think he came up with all of this on his own. That's a good point, too. I could see him, you know, being like, oh, we should escape. And then Frank Morris being like, actually, I've already got a plan in place and here's how it's going to go. And you idiots are going to follow me. Okay. to answer our question. Yes. Alan West did have a dummy head and I see a picture of it right now with his name next to it. Oh, okay. Yeah. Cool. He was very involved. Okay, so five days after the escape. The warden of Alcatraz, a guy named Blackwell, he received a postcard that said they should check into Jose Luis Martinez and see what he was doing the night of the escape in his boat. And he says he had no connection. He didn't take his boat out that night, but maybe he did. You know, I mean, we're talking about the lawless land of the 1960s. So... That definitely could have happened. Well, and a San Francisco police officer says that he did see a fishing boat that night out on the water that had no lights on, no fishing poles or nets or anything hanging off the side of it. And it was just kind of floating in the water. And he thought it looked weird. But about 30 minutes after he saw it, it drove off and went towards the Pacific Ocean. Yeah, that is a weird thing. And, Mm -hmm. you know, very coincidental i suppose but but that also brought another theory to light like oh maybe these guys didn't swim like if you're saying they physically can't swim to the shore maybe they didn't maybe they swam they came across this guy in a fishing boat and they were in desperate need of help and he wasn't gonna let them sit there and drown so he pulled them up into his boat and then there was three of what he did later (laughs) well no maybe there was three of them and one of him and they said drive us now you know yeah or yeah that's true maybe he pulled him up into the boat and then was like holy shit you escaped Alcatraz and he fucking helped him. Like, well, let's be real. If somebody shows up on your boat and has escaped Alcatraz, you only have one choice, and that is to help them because either A, they're the baddest people on the earth, or B, they're going to kill you. So yeah, that's do true. what they say. But to me, the only reason why he wouldn't say anything after is if he willingly helped them. Yeah, I can see that. If he had done it because he was scared, then he would have told the police later. But if he willingly was like, good for you guys, and like drove him to shore, of course you're not going to say anything. I'd be like, I've never seen those people in my life. And seven days after the escape, Warden Blackwell received another postcard, and it said, and I quote, ha ha, we made it, unquote. And it was signed by Clarence, John, and Frank. Now, the warden thinks that it was a hoax and just somebody else sent it, which could be. Definitely. But I think they sent it. Do you? (laughs) Really? Yeah, kind of. Oh, Because I I feel like if I escaped from Alcatraz, if I got away, everything was cool, and I was somewhere safe where I wasn't worried about anything, absolutely I'm going, ha ha, fuck you, I made it. I wouldn't say a word to anybody else ever associated with that past ever again. I would be long gone 
and just be like, sorry, there's no proof of me ever existing again. Mm. Especially now, because they can track you now. But back then, you're right. Lawless land. Yeah, but back then, there was nothing. There was no tracking you. Exactly. So They've never even said where these postcards were postmarked. That's true. So, you know what? Maybe they were fake. But either way, Warden Blackwells doesn't love getting them. Yeah. So a Norwegian ship that was in the bay six days after the escape said that they saw what seemed to be a body floating in the water. They recorded it the night that it happened, but they didn't report it until three months later when they heard about the Alcatraz escapes. And they didn't like go over to the body or pull it up or do anything. They just saw it with binoculars. And it was six days after the escape. But... People jump off the Golden Gate Bridge all the time. And the night of the escape, a guy named Seymour Webb jumped off the Golden Gate Bridge and his body was never found. So I like to believe that the body that the Norwegian ship saw was not one of the Alcatraz inmates. It was Seymour Webb. How about the Norwegian ship just going by and being like, huh, let make note of that. But we're not going to say anything. We're not snitches. (laughs) Just keep keep going. Well. Didn't see anything. I don't know if it was a cargo ship or something. Like, they probably can't stop. Well, no, but they probably could have reported it, I'm sure. Yeah, but how? I'm very certain that because the lawless land of the 1960s still had radios. Oh. And they absolutely could have radioed something. I was just, I was like, well, they didn't have cell phones, Grant, you idiot. I did not think of radios. (laughs) (laughs) Now who's the idiot? Yep, me. (laughs) Guilty. Throw me in Alcatraz. You're so lucky. Yeah. So June 21st, a homemade life jacket was found on the shore in San Francisco. And the next day, a second homemade life jacket was also found. But I believe that one was in the water or washed up on shore. And they say that that one was flat, like it was leaking and it was flat and all that stuff. But the fact that the life jackets made it to shore, why wouldn't the bodies? Exactly. That was in them. These guys are just so cool again. These guys are just the absolute coolest. I totally think they made it to shore safely too. But the FBI, their reasoning for this being a good sign that they drowned was, oh, the life jackets were flat and there was teeth marks on the seams where like somebody was holding it together with their mouth. And it's like, why is that a good sign that they drowned? If the life jackets were on them and deflating, but the life jackets Ditch made them. it to shore. Well, no, but the life jackets made it to shore. How did the body not make it to shore that it was on? I guess it could have slipped out. I mean, that's not too surprising for, you know, something like that. Who knows how tight they were on the bodies. But... Yeah, but it didn't get hung up on something because they're saying the tide took the bodies out to the Pacific Ocean. Well, how did the fucking tide not take the life jackets out to the Pacific Ocean? I think because the bodies would have sunk and uh, maybe not. No, you're right. Because they definitely would have floated because there wasn't there wasn't anything to hold them down. It doesn't make any sense. It's like if the tide's going to take the bodies, it's got to take the life jackets too. the life jackets way less than the bodies. You think they'd go faster? Mm, I don't know. That's a good question. Yeah. I mean, I'm not a scientist, but common sense would say these guys survived. I definitely think they survived, but I don't know that their bodies would have been taken out to shore and the the life jackets wouldn't have been. But three months after the escape, a fisherman caught a human skull. The prison thought for sure it was one of the escaped inmates. But guess what? It wasn't. (laughs) I know the the warden and the BOP and everything and the FBI, they were like, ha, see, they died. And then when the dental records came back, they were like, oh, never mind. And again, they were like, ah, gotcha. <laughs> we made it. <laughs> yeah. I know. I was like, ah, eat your words, man. So the England family over the years has claimed to have received postcards and letters from the brothers. And their mom supposedly received flowers every year on her birthday from an anonymous sender. And good on them, too, for if they did survive not going back home and putting their family at risk. That's yeah. another really, you know. Yeah, because I mean, how hard would sucks. that be to not go see your family, but they knew they couldn't, you know. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. They'd be putting them in harm's way. But as much as these guys were criminals and they were in jail and stuff, if this part of the story is true, their mama did something right because they still send her flowers on her birthday. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. They weren't that bad after. And remember, these guys tried robbing a bank with a toy gun and then tried to escape i'd probably try to escape a prison if i had a toy gun too i know i guess i wouldn't be robbing a bank but yeah but they robbed a bank with a toy gun because they didn't want to hurt anybody right exactly so you're right mom did do something right yeah so i mean 
I'm not condoning bank robbery, but I'm just saying, like, I don't think these guys were, like, Alcatraz-hardened inmates that should have really... I don't know that they did anything to really deserve to be there. They weren't murderers. They never hurt anybody, you know? Right. Although I don't know... We don't know that much about Frank Morris. He could have been a jerk. We don't really know that much about him. So, I mean, we know he was an orphan and he was in and out of prison for his whole life, but... Yeah, he had nothing else to do. He yeah. didn't have any family to go see. Yeah. So there's a lot of rumors, too, that in 1973, when John and Clarence's mom passed away, that there were two tall, strange-looking women oh, yeah. wearing, a lot of, <laughs> wearing a lot of makeup at her funeral, but they disappeared before the, the FBI could talk to them. And I don't know. That seems so weird that the FBI would want to talk to these women in poorly done makeup but i mean i guess they were still investigating and the fbi went to her funeral to make sure that they didn't show up so when they saw these two guys dressed like women they were like we got to talk to them when this funeral's over and then by the time the funeral was over they were gone that was again another really smart thing to do like yeah. get in get out and Genius. move on like and to be able to show up and see your family and celebrate your mom and then just peace out immediately yeah they, they, you know, obviously, if they did survive. Yeah, that's restraint for sure. Restraint is a, definitely a good word for it. You discipline. know, I would want to go and see my family. Yeah, discipline, definitely. All those kinds of things. Mm-hmm. So another rumor is that a family friend gave a photo to the Anglin family of two men next to like a rock in Brazil. And experts have looked at this photo And they say that they believe the photo was taken in 1975, that the date is accurate. It's not like a newer photo meant to look old. It was taken in 1975, so that's 13 years after the escape. And the photo is clearly of John and Clarence wearing sunglasses and facial hair. Well, it does look like John and Clarence, but obviously we don't know for sure, but... The family does say that they think it's them too. So it looks just like, I mean, they're not aging very well and they have long hair and facial hair because Clarence was a fox. When you check out these <laughs> pictures, he was super cute. I'm like, ooh. Clarence, I'm I'm looking at pictures of all of them and none of them stand out to me. And, and I'm definitely willing to admit when there's a good looking man, but I, let me see. Let me look up Clarence. What's his name? Clarence Thomas? No, his name is Clarence Anglin. Oh, right. Clarence Thomas is a is a court justice. Yes. The Supreme Court. Yeah. He's dark. Uh, oh, okay. Yeah, I can see it. Yeah, he's a good looking guy. You yeah. Know, he's kind of got that rugged kind of look about him. I can see that for yeah. sure. And this photo from 1975, he's obviously not aging that well, but the hairline, the nose, like the things that you could see, it obviously looks like him. And the other guy, too, same thing. You can't see the eyes, but the hairline and the face shape and the nose all are so spot on. Like, what is the likelihood that two other guys that aren't them got together in Brazil in 1975 and took this picture to make it look like they were them? Like, what are the chances of all of this? They're probably not super great. And I'm looking at that photo that you're talking about and Clarence has facial hair, so you really can't tell him apart too well. I mean... The hairline is similar. Yeah, it is. And the nose. But I think John, yeah, I think John is John for sure. For sure, dude. Yeah. Now, I don't know where Frank Morris is, but I'm sure they split up. This is 1975 too, right? 75, yeah. These guys have, like, <laughs> John has these cool chops. He looks yeah, like he Joe does. Cocker. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Clarence England has this, like, nice thick goatee that with these thick chops that there's only like that small little piece of hair missing. I know he's got the oh, Tyson man. rail goatee. <laughs> yeah. And they, and they both have that button down that like goes like almost like down, like to like their nips and stuff. Oh yeah. Like, and their chest hairs all hanging out. It's very yeah. 75. Oh yeah. These guys are cool for sure. Yeah. They definitely escaped. They're so cool. Yes. <laughs> Stop with that. <laughs> Stupid shit. <laughs> So there's been a ton of clues and rumors and tips and everything reported over the years, but we're really only talking about like the major ones. So in 2013, a letter was sent to the San Francisco Police Department. Do you know what I'm talking about? No, but tell me more. You don't know about this letter? No, I've never heard about this letter. Ooh. So apparently, supposedly, according to people who have read the letter, 
It said, my name is John England, and I escaped from Alcatraz in June 1962 with my brother Clarence and Frank Morris. I'm 83 years old and in bad shape. I have cancer. Yes, we all made it that night, but barely. Wow. And, how cool are Oh, these no, people? it keeps going. It keeps going. So oh, in the letter, it claims that after they escaped from Alcatraz, that he lived up in Seattle, and then he moved around to North Dakota, and eventually he settled in... Southern California. Southern California. Oh, man. I hope I run into John or Clarence England. Yeah, right? So he claims that Frank Morris died in 2008, which the only thing about this letter that makes it sound bogus to me, although I still want to believe it's true, is that line. Because he says that Frank Morris died in 2008 and Clarence died in 2011. But I think if these guys escaped, I think they split up. And what's the likelihood that in 1962, when you're on the run from the cops and you split up from each other, that you would ever be able to find each other again? So how would he know that Frank Morris died in 2008? Yeah, that's a pretty... Unless, ooh, what if they planned it all out, too, to have like these aliases and that they would go by these aliases from then on... And they started their own so Facebook account. And well, there's no yeah, sixty two. There's no Facebook. Well, I, not yet, but in two thousand and eight, there definitely was. So maybe you know. Although I don't think, I don't think many people of their age were were jumping on. But no, but you never but know. that's a good theory though that they came up with fake names before they escaped, so that they would know how to look each other up after they split up. Yeah, that's if Frank Morris even made it. Yeah. I don't know, but the letter also went on to say, if you announce on TV that I will be promised to first go to jail for no more than a year and get medical attention, I will write back and let you know exactly where I am. This is no joke. So the FBI has checked the letter for DNA and fingerprints, but nothing has ever been found on that. So they think that the letter is not legit because they're like, well, you know, there's nothing on it. It's like, stop it, you guys. That's not a good excuse. I'm tired of your bullshit excuses. Who would write a letter like this in 2013? Like, this is not a lawless land. Like, they can track you. They'll know where you are. That's, you know, there's, well, there's, this is not a good idea. If, yeah, but there's loons that would do it. But I just, I feel like it's him. And how would, but how would they not get caught? I, if they did it in 2013, how would they not get caught? I don't understand. Yeah, I don't know. So after all of this happened and all the hoopla, the inmates started to get real rowdy and mouthy and like, oh, if they can make it, then we can too. And they started getting real bitchy and people (laughs) on the outside had no confidence in Alcatraz anymore. People on the inside didn't. Six months after these guys escaped, those other two guys escaped and the one guy made it all the way to shore. So... They officially closed Alcatraz in March of 1963, and they started shipping the inmates to other places, and they closed their doors in March of 63. So this was the end of Alcatraz. These guys took down Alcatraz. Like, maybe not single-handedly, because obviously 36 guys tried to do it. Yeah. And on 14 different attempts, and we know for fact that somebody did survive. Mm -hmm. But these guys took down Alcatraz. Like, how cool are they? Well, the theories really are... That they died in the water, that they drowned and were swept out to sea, and that's their bodies will just never be found. Or that they survived, and they made it out. And I like to believe that they survived, and they made it out. And I think they made it out, all three of them, together, and they went somewhere for a certain amount of time, and then eventually they split off from each other. Or at least the brothers split from Frank. I definitely think that the two brothers survived. I think Frank Morris did not. I believe that he probably didn't make it. And that may have been from the brothers, you know, taking him down, maybe trying to swim and, you know, or if in the boat, if the boat started to capsize. Yeah, you're the first one going, dude. So I think that for sure the two brothers made it. And I think there's a possibility that Frank Morris did not. Well, I mean, there's a possibility that none of them did. But I just with the picture and the letters and all the sightings, I just I really think that they did. I like you said, at least the two brothers probably did. And I don't think they necessarily killed Frank Morris, but if he did die, that would make sense why there's no mention of him ever. But also his body was never found. So it could just be that he split off from the brothers. So that's why he wasn't in that picture. He had nobody back home to write letters to or send flowers to on Mother's Day. So maybe he just went off and started a new life. In 1962, you could just pick a new name. It's a lawless land. You could do whatever you wanted. Yeah, you're like, oh, I'm John Cusack now. You know, it doesn't matter. That's wonderful to hear that he started a whole new acting career i love it but i'm just saying like you could just literally pick a new name and that's the end of it and 
the thing with this too is there's nobody can tell you you're wrong or you're right. I mean, it's just literally what you think probably happened. And I stick by that Frank Morris probably died. But yeah. he also had less reason to be seen again because, again, he had no family to identify him afterwards. Yeah. And so maybe he's the only one that survived and the two brothers died. And maybe he's nah. the one that sends their mom pictures and stuff so that all the focus is on the Anglin brothers, even though they might've died. Wow. That's a fantastic theory. How brilliant. But how do we explain that photo of the two guys who, again, we don't know, but we've never proven who they are otherwise. Yeah. So maybe Frank Morris just found two guys that looked similar enough and he took the photo from far enough away and with the facial hair and everything. I don't know. I'm just saying Frank Morris was a smart guy. So if he's the one that survived and the brothers died, it would make sense that he would always be trying Trying to make people think that the brothers survived and just kind of like leave him out of it. But why would he write that letter then and say that he had died in 2008? At that point, why does it matter? And if you're seeking medical attention, just get it under your own name. You know, just... I don't think he really had cancer. I don't think he's really seeking medical attention. Maybe he just wrote that letter just to fuck around because he's bored. <laughs> I guess Frank Morris might be still alive fucking around with <laughs> with the FBI because he's bored. Yeah. Well, they yeah. all might be. Who knows? I mean, not probably not now, but in 2013, maybe, you know, I don't know. They're probably not alive now just based on age, but that's also a dick move. If you escaped Alcatraz, Clint fucking Eastwood made a movie about you. Yep. And you don't let somebody know before you die that you made it? Like, what an asshole move. Like D.B. Cooper. Yeah. Like, if they did survive, or any of them survived, one, two, three, all of them, none of them, if any of them survived, why would they not leave a deathbed confession? Like, hey, by the way, Frank Morris, here I am. Who cares once you're dead? Well, think about that, though. Frank Morris, if he's been going this whole life since 1961, right? That 62. Or was it 62? 62. 1962, that he survived and he has started his own family. Don't you think that that would cause some major turmoil in his family if he was like, hey, by the way, my name's not you know, Bob Smith, I'm actually Frank Morris and I escaped Alcatraz and everything you've known about me up until this point has been complete lie because that's just, you know, who I am. Like, no, I mean, I could, I could see this going to someone's grave for sure. I think it would suck for a while, but then it'd be like, dude, my dad's a badass. <laughs> I think so too, but I could definitely see somebody taking this to their grave. Absolutely. Yeah, I think I this know. is definitely grave worthy. I also think that DNA Doe Project might be able to help because if they somehow got their DNA, I don't know how they would do that, but if somehow they got their DNA, they could run genealogy and see if there's any descendants of them. And if all of a sudden all these little Brazilian kids start popping up with their <laughs> DNA, I think we're going to solve this pretty quick. I wonder if the hair that's left on those dummies, if any of it was their hair and could be tested that way. I don't know. I think to get DNA off a of hair, though, you have to have root, don't you? I don't know. I'm not that ex expert on, on and it these was, kinds of things. It was cut hair from haircuts, you know? Yeah, It wasn't definitely. ripped from the root, so I don't think there was any root or follicle on it. But I don't know. It's The DNA technology changes every day. Maybe they can get DNA from hair now that doesn't have root on it. I don't know. I didn't know that it had to be root, so... I think it used to be. I Now that I said it out loud, I think maybe it doesn't have to have root anymore. I don't know. We'll look into that. And if you haven't, change your Amazon smile to DNA Doe Project so maybe we can find out who escaped Alcatraz and if they're still alive in Brazil or not with little Brazilian babies everywhere. Yep, and upload your genetic profile to GEDmatch. Please and thank you. Definitely do that. GEDmatch. G-E-D match.com. I guess there are a lot of theories. I mean, we're not going to be able to go into all of them. I think that's pretty much it. They either lived or they died. <laughs> Those are typically the theories of everyone's life, so. Yeah. I could see that. I think for sure the brothers lived and if one of them passed, it was Frank Morris in my opinion. And I think they all three survived. But if any of them passed, the brothers passed and Frank Morris survived. Nah, that's interesting. I personally hope all three of them survived because no, no matter what, all three of them are super cool. But we'll definitely put some pictures up on Instagram too so you guys can see what some of these photos and whatnot look like because some of this stuff is really, really cool stuff. Well, and you can see how good looking Clarence Anglin is. That's true. You can, <laughs> you want to put a poll up on Instagram rating Clarence Anglin on hot, on hot or not? Or not? <laughs> <laughs> that just reminded me of when Pam remember when she holds up the hot sign when they're doing the whether Hillary Swank is hot or not oh yeah the whole ep the whole office is yeah. like deciding you... if Hillary Swank is hot or not hey controversial topic do you think Hillary Swank's hot most most often yeah usually yeah there's some angles where I'm like ooh not the best <laughs> but for the most part Hillary Swank is pretty hot yeah <laughs> 
right. What do you think? Do you think Hillary Swank's pretty hot? No. No? I'm on the not hot train. <laughs> oh, my gosh. How do you not think she's kind of, at least kind of hot? I mean, I there's know. there's definitely I just things don't. that, like, I don't know. ooh, not so much, but. I don't know. I just, I'm not going to be, like, mean about it. I don't think she's ugly. But also, everybody says she's a great actress, and I don't think I've ever seen a movie that she's ever been in, so. I don't think I've seen a movie she's been in either, but we should put up a poll on Instagram if <laughs> Hillary Swink is hot or not. Yeah. This is the most office thing we've ever done, is poll on Hillary Swank being hot or not. So, we should definitely put that one up. That's funny. Anyway, do you have anything else on this Alcatraz thing? We could go on forever about it, but. I don't have anything else except... I really, really want to go visit Alcatraz now. I think this is such a cool case. These guys are so cool. I want to go and try to get... Oh, we could put some of the pictures up from when I went to Alcatraz. Do you still have some of your photos? I just went there like a year and a half ago. You did? Yeah, Matt and I went up there for our anniversary before COVID. Oh, I guess I completely forgot about that. Yeah. Because I knew you a year and a half ago. (laughs) You've known me for like 15 years. (laughs) So I'm not wrong. I knew you a year and a half ago. You're a dork. Anyway, we'll post some of those pictures on Instagram if you guys want to take a look. Come take a look and rate Clarence England. Yeah. And Hillary Swank. You yeah. can rate Hillary Swank and Clarence England. Yeah. And thank you to everybody who participated in the giveaway. That was so much fun. And we'll be doing more giveaways in the future, I promise. Yeah, you guys like when we give away free stuff. So we'll give you more of it if you guys keep coming back. Yeah. All right, buddy. All right. Anything else? Nope. That's it. All right. Well, I love you. I'll see you next week. Okay. Love you too. Bye. Bye.